From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Project podcast. Here we are on episode 253. We're here to talk about something I haven't addressed yet on the program based on the title. You know what it is, but I got this question from Joseph Peck 62. He asked, do you believe in God? And I haven't addressed this yet. And it's been, the podcast has been going on for over four years, four plus years now. We're on 253 And I bet you guys who have been listening for a long time are wondering, well, does Brad believe in a God? seems like a really trivial question. And I think you guys have an idea based off of how I speak and what I talk about on the show. I reference many biblical passages like Cain and Abel, um, like the Garden of Eden, uh, Adam and Eve story. I talk about Moses, and these are all archetypal stories, but it doesn't answer the question whether I believe in a God. And so, in short, yes, I do believe in God. This is something I've been wrestling with for the last two to three years, and I want to really detail my reasoning and my belief. So I wrote down really important points I want to touch upon. So if you see me looking down, that's because I have my notes here. I believe in a transcendent self, okay? One that confronts suffering voluntarily head on and transcends that suffering. Because within me, going through anxiety, going through that suffering, I viewed myself as this weak, unhealthy, unstable person that I wanted to move far away from desperately. That's how I got to where I am today is that through that desperation, through that anger, not being satisfied by the time and place I was inhabiting. So I believe that when we come into contact with a model, someone that transcends suffering, we can't help but admire them. And I noticed that within myself when I stumbled upon Wim Hof, Russell Brand, or Jordan Peterson, or, God, so many, uh, David Goggins, or even the Dalai Lama, or Eckhart Tolle. So much wisdom just through one of those minds amazed me that I just don't know anything. I've been stuck in my own bubble, encapsulated in my own mind for so long. Now, God is the possible self stretched across time, the possible self who 
you can manifest, who you can be. Now, that's the potential you. God is the potential you, who you can be. It's not who you are now, but what's possible in your life. Human beings are unique in that way because we understand time not just happening here and now, but we understand that there's a future and that if we make the appropriate sacrifices now, that the future you can actually thrive because of that. Like if you, you know that if you suffer through something, say, you know, the instant gratification, for example, you prolong that because you understand that the future you will greatly benefit. The future you will accumulate wins or will stack up those wins later on so you don't eat that pie at thanksgiving dinner you don't eat that mcdonald's when you go out with your friends you don't sleep in you wake up early or you don't take that hot shower that's comfy and cozy but you take the cold one when it's minus 20 outside you decide to clean up rather than play video games you decide to clean the car rather than I don't know, rather than just scroll on your cell phone. You, re- you decide to fast rather than spend that hour making food. We're always making sacrifices. We always have these choices. But I feel like we can look outwards towards possibility. And to grow towards what's possible, we must make difficult choices right here and right now. We must make difficult choices right here. So that voice, you know, that internal voice, or, or it could be that feeling that tells you to do or not to do something, when it's difficult, that's the voice of conscience, but I view that as, as well, the voice of God, the voice of God, because we we don't like to hear that voice. And it's difficult to hear that voice because, you know, you do something, you want to take the easy route, but then that voice is telling you to go to the difficult road. It's not even a road. It's like off the beaten path trail that the voice is telling you to go on and you're like, what, why would I do that? It's like, no, I don't want to listen to you. I feel like for me growing up, I was always ignoring that voice. I remember being a young kid and hearing that voice whenever I would swear and I would swear and I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, God, for swearing. Please, you know, forgive me. But I wasn't a religious person. I didn't go to church. My parents weren't religious. I wasn't a Catholic. I, I wasn't a Protestant or wasn't um, in any faith whatsoever. But that voice was prominent within me. But then I ignored that voice for a long damn time. And then that voice became more dominant in my 20s, later in my 20s, when I started to release a lot of the baggage built up within my mind. A lot of the, a lot of the habits, a lot of the negativity, I started to see and hear and feel that voice grow more and more. And, you know, for example, I talk about pornography recovery on this channel all the time. 
And when I was starting that, I went on YouTube and I found these men. I stumbled upon them because my curiosity flickered and, and turned me towards these men that were abstaining from pornography. And I, I felt that feeling within me that I could do more. These men are going through something really challenging. And man, do I ever need a challenge? I'm suffering, but these men are transcending suffering. And there's something so admirable about that. And I was recognizing that voice. Even when I would relapse on, on this recovery journey many, many times, I, I felt that voice like, oh, Brad, like, what'd you do? The shame and the guilt. And I viewed that as a teacher. It's like, yes, this is not where I want to be. What can I do differently so that I don't wind up in the same position that, you know, of relapse? And this feeling and voice, through many stumbles and failures and relapses, became my guide and my teacher. And so we narrativized potential as being this old man in the sky with the beard. Why? This is a really interesting question. I mean, the old man represents wisdom because of the old age, right? That makes sense. They've been through so much in their life. And why a man? Well, I think as Jordan Peterson or uh, Carl Jung has illustrated, the man represents culture. And there's the positive aspect of culture and the negative aspect of culture, the archetypal old man, right? There's the tyrannical old man or the positive Gandalf-like or Dumbledore-like figure. And I think this is interesting because learning a lot of about psychology, talking to a lot of people, they idolize their father in a very interesting way. I mean, people who don't have a father, I mean, they it's very challenging for them to go through life. And people, like listening to people who have lost their father, they feel like they have to fulfill the uh, this obligation even though they're not around to satisfy or to uh impress them in some way it's this archetypal judge in the sky that's pulling out your potential like i want to meet what they are expecting of me and Goggins said this really interesting in, in one of his interviews. He said that if he were to go to heaven, right, and God was there, you know, if he were to stay the same person, God would have been like, well, you see this, you see this version of yourself that you could have been? Man, like, what happened there? And Goggins pl plays this vision out in his mind. It means a lot to him because he feels like, now, uh, going through so much suffering and accomplishing so much in his life that he can go to heaven and impress God even rather than God saying, well, you left all that potential on the table. 
man, you could have been this athlete. You could have been this Navy SEAL. You could have been this ultra marathon runner, but you didn't live up to that. And it's devastating when you think about it like that. It's this old man in the sky narrative, right? And even though your father may not be around, there's still something lurking there in the mind that drives you to be more than you are. And if we gaze, why, why in the sky? Why the old man in the sky? Well, we gaze upwards towards the universe, the stars, for wisdom, for guidance. We look up to, towards what could be. But why do we look down? Why in the story of Cain and Abel, Cain looks down, he's downcast. Well, you look down towards, well, defeat, right? You're defeated, you look down. That's really what happens when your serotonin is low, is you are hunched over and you're defeated. Tony Robbins says this all the time. He says, how do you change that serotonin system? Well, you have to act confident, shoulders back, chin up, even though you don't feel like it, you know, that'll change the emotional state you're in. And so when you're downcast, you're inwards, um, entertaining what you already know. You're entertaining what you already know. In the Cain and Abel story, God, that voice in Cain, it says to Cain, well, the reason why you're so bitter and resentful towards Abel is that you're not living up to your potential, essentially. You're entertaining this predatory entity in your own mind, and you're entertaining it rather than looking towards your faults, rather than looking towards your own sacrifices. And then Cain goes, yeah, well, you know, I had enough of you. He gets pissed off. He's annoyed. He doesn't want to realize that. He wants to stay with what's familiar. And, you know, what's familiar is the finite. But there's the infinite out in the night sky. That's where you wish upon a star. For example, you wish on what you want to manifest. But if you're downcast, you're entertaining the suffering. You're entertaining the bitterness. You're resentful. You're not looking towards other pathways. You know, this is so interesting because during my anxiety recovery, I stumbled upon a coach, a mentor on YouTube that resonated with me. He was speaking my language. He was like, oh my God, I'm suffering from health, anxiety, heart palpitations, dizziness, shortness of breath. And, you know, he was talking about the same emotions, the same feelings I was contending with, and it clicked. I was amazed. And I then adopted him as a teacher. Teacher, I realized later on that I admired this person because of his vulnerability, his truth, and his strength. 
And if we, I wouldn't have looked up to this person if I didn't acknowledge the fact that what I was doing currently is not working for me. And that was difficult. That's what Cain failed to realize. You can't force somebody to go into therapy. There's no way because they're closed off. It's like talking to a brick wall. They have to want to get better. That's really important. Now, if you think a job, for example, is above you, then you fail to manifest whatever potential lurks in that position. Because I see this a lot of the time, even within myself growing up. I think, well, I'm too smart for this. I'm not, you know, I'm above this job position. But that's the wrong way to look at it. Because first, there is far too much that you don't know and so little that you know that maybe you can learn something from this. Maybe that you can challenge the ego because the ego is telling you that you're above this position. But how do you free yourself from the grips of that ego? Well, it requires humility. It requires doing things you don't want to do because the mind wants to bring you into a place of comfort. And I'll tell you something. You think you're above a job? Well, get into a job you admire and you you have to start from the bottom in that position. So, for example, I pursued my dreams of going into the film industry. So I got in. I got in as a camera trainee. I went to this workshop. I applied. The whole process took a bit of time and it was anxiety provoking because I, I was really wanted to get in. And so I got in and then thinking, oh man, you know, I'm happy. I'm elated. I feel good. But then another problem comes about when now you're on set. Now you're on a film set and you just are, you're starting from scratch, square one. You don't know anything. You get yelled at, which I got yelled at. And so you have to stumble through this muck and this thick resistance before you actually master the thing that's causing you a lot of anxiety, pain, and suffering and fear. I mean, I had a lot of fear even showing up there because I was bad at my job. And the days were long, grueling days. And it, I, I learned a lot in that position. I learned that you have to keep attacking what is causing you much fear. You have to keep attacking it. So you value growth rather than what is already familiar. You value growth. And what helps me get through really difficult, anxiety-provoking times is looking towards models, figures in my life that transcend suffering, that look towards suffering as a teacher rather than something that you should fear, right? I look towards these people rather than going on YouTube and watching silly, nonsensical videos. I look towards 
the wisdom of these people because they help me to look at suffering in a different way when I'm in the midst of the, of that suffering. Now, the atheists, they argue that there is no actual figure in the sky that can be weighed or measured. And then I say, you're missing the point. You're missing the point here. That figure is a dramatized representation of potential. That is our conscious, the conscience. Like Gandalf or Dumbledore, these figures are, well, essentially God the Father. They are, right? They are the positive aspect of the archetype, the male, the male figure, right? They are the embodiment of the old hero. Harry is Dumbledore. Dumbledore is Harry Potter. They're both the same figure. One's just older and wiser. One is stumbling forth in the world, growing and learning, confronting suffering and then transcending it. And these people, when we watch these movies, you can tell. I mean, you get this feeling within yourself, I'm sure, but within me, when I watch it, I get this feeling that they're this harsh, harsh judge. Harry Potter gets that feeling. When he upsets Dumbledore, he really feels it. When he upsets Mr. or Mrs. Dursley, he doesn't feel it. He doesn't even like them. He doesn't admire them. Why would you admire those people? One's obese and angry and bitter. The one's, you know, scrawny and bitter and resentful. And you don't admire these people. You want to stay as far away from them as possible. But you admire someone like Dumbledore. You admire someone like Gandalf. And so when you upset those ideals, when you are don't live up to them, you feel it within yourself. And then the wise thing to do is to learn and talk to yourself, talk to them, talk to other people and ask, well, how can I approach this differently next time so that I don't wind up in that pit that I got myself into. And that's the question. That's how you learn and grow. Knowing that you're just a learning creature in this world and that you're never going to stop learning until the day you die. Now, these models are important to have in your life. These models like Jesus, like Bilbo Baggins, Luke Skywalker, these people voluntarily confront the suffering. And that's why we look up to them. That's why we admire them. They go into the unknown and they gather the information there. They come back a different person and they share that wisdom with the community. And as Jordan Peterson points out, we live in this narrative structure rather than through facts. And I completely agree with that. The backbone of culture is art. We watch movies. We see plays. We admire musicians. We admire athletes. We see ourselves in them. We want to look like them. We want to act like them. 
What do we do through high school? We see people that are admired and we want to, we want to mirror them in all those ways. We want to dress and look like them and certainly act like them as well. And so I feel like these stories are necessary. They are religious in their nature. They all contain archetypes. Dumbledore is essentially God the Father. Harry Potter is essentially Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, why is that archetypal? It's because the worst things happen to the person that least deserves it. That's why. And so when we are suffering, why do we turn to Jesus Christ and his story? Because if if Jesus can transcend that horrific suffering he was contending with, the betrayal of not only his friends, but the state, the complete and utter torture that he goes through. And even at the end, when he's on the cross, he questions God and whether there is one. Why have you forsaken me? Even the Son of God questions God, and it's okay because there is a point in time where we turn our backs to God. We, we may not even believe that God is there. What is that? Well, potential, um, whether you, or not your decision is the right decision. We question that all the time. We question the voice in our head all the time. But if we forthrightly confront that voice, even though it's telling us to do something we do not want to do, maybe the answers lie in that potential, the unknown. Maybe if we act that out, we could grab something that we haven't grabbed before. In times of suffering, who do you turn to? Who do you admire? Right? We have to look to those people, not just silly comedic movies that are, you know, you feel good for an hour, but after, after that, when it's just you in your own mind, what happens? You fall deep into hell, essentially. And that's what I'm going to leave you on today's podcast episode. Let me know what you think of this. Do you believe in God? What do you think of the ideas and the topic of today's video, today's podcast. Please leave that below if you're talking to me on YouTube. But if you're listening on Spotify, just click over and leave a quick review. I'd greatly appreciate it, guys. If you find this valuable, that's all I ask. As you know, that there is no advertisements currently on the show because I've gotten offers for sponsors, but I just don't want to sell you guys anything on something I don't particularly believe in. So that's why you don't hear sponsors on the show. I just sponsor my own anxiety recovery program, right? And my coaching. So all I ask, leave a review, leave a rating, and lastly, rise above anxiety. I'll see you next time. 
Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.